Tuning in to the 476th episode of Barstool Sports Talk with me, Earls Daryl D. Lane. As always, wherever you are, however you're listening, thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Air Radio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. Being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual. Gonna have a great podcast for all you guys today. Gonna have Zach Person on the show, covers the Chicago Bears for Bears Report. We have a great conversation. We talk about Justin Fields, Matt Eberflus, and we're also going to have Matt Verderam on, national NFL reporter for NFL Fanside. Uh, me and Matt have a great conversation about QBs in the NFL, just tearing quarterbacks in the NFL, Matthew Stafford. Uh, really fun conversation with Matt. Now, before we get to both those conversations, I'm going to give my shameless plug, as always. First-time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below. Specifically, if you guys use Spotify, I have everything time-stamped. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at NightTrain underscore Lane, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Darren Lane. You will find it. I post two to five-minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then don't say anything. Because, you know what your mom told you? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And cut up next of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Matt Verderam on. Cut up next of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. With Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Matt Verderam, National NFL Reporter for Fanside. How you doing, man? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So my first question for you is this, right? After last year in the playoffs, we saw Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes go at it. And I think there kind of became like an oh wow moment. Like this is kind of what you need for a quarterback in the NFL. So my question to you is, where do you think we're trending in terms of what teams are looking for when it comes to finding their quarterback? Well, I think more than the league's mobile. Um, you've got to have a quarterback who can at least move a little bit. Um, if you don't have that, I would still win. Brady wins all the time. But I think at some point it does become a detriment. You need to have a guy... Who you can always move the pocket with doesn't have to be a Lamar Jackson. So I, I, I think there is that. I think teams are looking for a guy who, who can who can throw on the run, who can draw off platform more than before. Um, and then, I mean, look, it, there, there's always the old standbys, right? Like there's always going to be the guy who's got the big arm. Not everybody has Allen's arm or Mahomes' arm, but you know, the bigger arm you have, the more throws you can make. I think though now more than ever, being mobile and being intelligent. Are, are really two of the biggest things. I mean, sure, you have to be accurate. And you've got to be able to deliver the ball with, with some kind of zip. But, you know, this isn't 30 years ago where the defenses by today's standards are pretty rudimentary. You know, you come out, okay, teams at nickel, and you press far famously so they didn't even know what a nickel defense was. Um, nowadays, you see so many different looks, and so many of those looks really are, are malleable based on um, – you know, a, a different a guy going in motion or something like that. So I think you've got to be a processor as a quarterback, and you've got to be somebody who can make a throw when you're uncomfortable. What do you think, let's say 10 years from now, what does the worst athlete at quarterback look like? I mean, <laughs> I think in 10 years, you probably see a crazy difference, although you never know. 10 years ago now, right, like you probably – Probably would have been Bishop Mahomes, guys like Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. Um, I think in 10 years, you're just going to see more moving pockets. I think you're going to see uh, a continued evolution of guys being able to throw in a non traditional way. You know, for the longest time, I, mean, I, would, I would posit that Mahomes would change that in the sense that when he came out of Texas Tech, 
if you go look at his film, now, some of this is because his footwork was genuinely not good in college, and it's easier to fix that, but he made a lot of throws off-platform, off-schedule, you know, what some people would say is a little bit of a gunslinger type of mentality, and that was seen as a negative. I remember when Kansas City took him, that was a big drawback with him as well. He does it at Texas Tech, he's not going to be able to do it at the pros, and he was really the first guy in recent times, and obviously there have been other guys, you know, Tarkington, Fars, who scrambled around new plays, but in recent times, who not only could do that, but it became a weapon. It became a big staple of his game. And then other guys have followed, too. Obviously, Allen is somebody who does that. Herbert somebody who does that. Kyler Murray, to a lesser degree, can do that. Um, I, I, I do think that in 10 years, you know, the guys who play the game, like Manning and Brady, I think they'll always exist to some extent. I mean, I would, I would say that Joe Burrow's kind of in that mold. Well, he's, he's got a little bit of mobility to him, but... Um, Even Joe can scramble. <laughs> right, and he, he, he can move when he has to. He did it in the A's Tyler game a few times. But I think, I think the days of the guy who just stands back there and can't move, like a Philip Rivers, for example, I, I think that is fairly limited in terms of how long you're going to be able to play like that. So you don't think teams will like or, or Kirk Cousins? You consider Kirk Cousins in kind of a, that uh, frame of right. war, right? Yep. So obviously Brady's the gold standard, greatest player of all time, right? So a Kirk Cousins can a Kirk is a will there still be room for a Kirk Cousins? Because the Mannings and the Bradys and the Breezes and the Philip Rivers, you know, if you're if you can throw the ball like that, like coaches will deal with that. They'll they'll find a way. But for the guys like a Kirk Cousins, how does their reality look? You think? Yeah, and you're right. I mean, hey, look, you know. I use Rivers as an example because he's probably the more more of the statuesque quarterback. But you're always going to have the quarter. You're always going to have the outliers at every position. And I think I think what's going to happen is just that the outlier in 10, 15 years is going to more be the guy who plays like Brady than the guy who plays like Mahomes. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to have a guy who can actually perform like Mahomes, but in terms of a play style. Yeah, I think you're going to have guys. I mean, it's, it's also imitation, too. Kids watching now are seeing all that. They're going to want to play like that. So, um, I, I, I always think the pocket passer, there's always going to be a space for that guy. But I think he's going to be rarer and rarer. Just kind of like how in the last 20 years, we've gone from most teams had a, had a running back who they fed, right? They gave 80% of carries, 90% of carries. How many teams do that now? Very few. Very few, right? The Indianapolis and Tennessee certainly jump out of you. Uh, there are a few others, but very few. Most teams, they, they share the, the running back duties by committee. Um, the game just changes. It evolves. I'm 34 years old. When I was a kid, you had two wide receivers on the field, the tight end, the fullback, and a running back, a quarterback, and the offensive line. That's, that's what you did. And on third down, you maybe took out the fullback and put in the third receiver. Now... Your third receiver is a starter. You're playing in 11 personnel all the time. And if you go and you bring in a fullback and you're in the power eye formation, it's surprising. Most teams don't do that. There are teams that go weeks without ever putting in a fullback. There's some teams that don't even carry a fullback. So, you know, the game evolves. And I think a quarterback, we're seeing the evolution of it. What do you think when... Coaches and GMs look at the ideal quarterback. Who comes to mind? Is it Patrick Mahomes? You know, I think it's a combination of guys. Like, if you said to me, who, who would be the guy that if all things are equal, uh, you know, a GM would pick to start his team? Probably. Probably Mahomes. I, I didn't get the most votes. But, you know, it depends on how you look at it. Like, I think Mahomes is the best quarterback in football, although obviously you could argue Rodgers, considering he's won the last MVP. Um, but I also argue, like, Josh Allen, you know, he brings an element to the game that Mahomes doesn't, where, you know, Allen can run somebody over. <laughs> Mahomes at size, but Mahomes isn't going to lower his shoulder very often trying to run somebody over. It's not his game. Um, I, I think, you know, there's different parts to everybody. Burrow is incredibly accurate. Um, you, know, you can pick here, pick there. I think the total package right now, yeah, if, if I had to pick one of them, I would take Mahomes, followed probably pretty closely by Allen, and then maybe, you know, Rodgers, and you know, so on and so forth, or Rodgers, however you want to order it. Um, but, yeah, I think everybody right now is looking for that quarterback who's got some mobility, he's got some size, big arm, and hell, 
Heck, if you could find that all the time, right, every team you'd ever fire at GM, it's hard. There are plenty of guys who have been bigger guys with huge arms. They don't work out. Either they're not accurate and they're a little brittle or they're not they're not able to process fast enough. And then, and then there's guys like Russell Wilson. You look at Russell Wilson, he is not a big guy, and yet it has worked out just fine. He's probably going to the Hall of Fame. So I think it's always there's always intangibles to every single guy that you get a fact on. Do you think... Uh, where do you think people stand on a guy like Lamar Jackson and how he plays the game as opposed to like an Allen or a Mahomes or a Rodgers? I, I think with Jackson, there's this odd split where it feels like very few people are in the middle where I think the truth actually is of Lamar Jackson. It's one, it was one camp that thinks Lamar Jackson is absolutely unequivocally a top 10 quarterback, maybe top 5 quarterback, and he's incredibly disrespected. How dare anybody think that he lacks somewhat as a passer? And it's utterly an unforgivable stance. And then you have the other side of the camp that says, he can't throw the ball. I don't want him as my quarterback. He's overrated. He's not even a top 15 quarterback. <laughs> and why would you sign him if you're Baltimore? I think the reality is in the middle. I think the reality is he's an electrifying player. He is a very good quarterback. I personally, I did my quarterback rankings a month ago. I think he's about the 11th best quarterback in football. You can certainly make an argument he's in the top 10. Um, is he limited to running the ball? I don't think his arm strength is limited, but yes, in, in the totality of his career, he has never been asked to be a guy who is a volume thrower. Now, there are those who, who are in that former camp who will say, well, that's not his fault, and if he threw the ball 40 times a game, he would be Mahomes, he'd be out. I argue entirely against that. If the Ravens thought he could do that, they would have him do that. They don't have him do that because they know that if he has to throw the ball 40 times a game, week in and week out, it's not going to be pretty. And so they're going to utilize his legs, which they should. His legs are generational. So I think with him, you just can't grade Lamar Jackson on a on a scale of, well, is Aaron Rodgers? Well, no, because he plays totally differently. I think in the end, he's a very, very good quarterback. A little postseason success would really help his narrative. Uh, fair or otherwise, I think it's reality. And if they, if the Ravens extend him, you're not going to hear me saying anything negative about it. I think I, I would totally understand that. He's deserving of an extension. Uh, on the flip side, if Baltimore says, look, we're going we're, we're gonna to kind of put a line in the sand, we're going to offer you X, we're not going past that, and you can take it or leave it, and they end up just riding out a couple of tags with him, I get that too. The one thing that would scare me with him and it's not his fault, it's just reality. When you run that much, at some point, the bell tolls. It just does. And I, like, what happens if, unfortunately, he has an injury that slows him down a little bit, and you've got four years and $200 million left on a the contract? Then what? Um, you'd have to be really comfortable with the idea of him just becoming more of a drop-back passer, and maybe... Maybe you would be comfortable with that, but I think if you're not, if there's any doubt in that, it becomes really, really hard to give him a, a, a record-setting extension. So I think that's interesting, right? I'm more so, I would say I'm more so in the camp of the first guy you mentioned who's like top 10. Uh, I think top 5 is probably a little crazy for my taste. That's too rich for my blood. But I think the guy who's saying top 15, he's a fifth, the 15th or 16th best quarterback in the NFL – uh, I wouldn't want him. I think that's just asinine because I'm like, would you really want Jimmy Garoppolo over Lamar Jackson? Would you really right. want that? Like, 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 let's be real here. Like, because we can talk about a lot of guys. I want Josh Allen, Patrick Holmes. Well, they probably have two of the ten best arms to ever play in the history of the sport. I'm sure you would, but there's not Josh Allen's and Patrick Holmes growing on trees. If there were, the world would be a different place. But there aren't a lot of guys who can run like Lamar Jackson. I mean, Lamar Jackson's probably the best run at the quarterback position in the history of the sport. You can build a 
Offense around that, the Ravens, surprise, surprise, they're like top five, top three in rushing every single year because of Lamar. He might not make his receivers better, but he sure as hell makes his running backs better. So I think, and yes, is there a sleep of the playoff success? Sure, but that's a lot better than being Daniel Jones of the New York Giants and you're just like, hey, can we get in the dance at all? So I mean, like when people say that, I just never understand that. If that's not your cup of tea, your cup of tea, but you can't say like the, the dude's like not, not objective. I mean, top 12 guy. I mean, you, you can't just start naming 15 dudes who are better than Lamar Jackson. I think that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I would agree. I, you know, like I said, when I did my rankings. I had them 11. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I think I had them in some order. Behind Allen Mahomes, behind Rodgers, Stafford, Brady, Herbert, Russell Wilson. Um, I'm going to forget something really obvious. I had them behind Dak, who was 10. I remember specifically Dak was 10. Um, and then I had a pair of two other guys who I, I am blanking on. But I think uh, he, look, he's clearly, oh, I had a behind Pearl is another one. Um, he's clearly an upper echelon talent. Oh, and then Deshaun Watson, who obviously, like, you can get it's all stuff off the field, just on the field. I had a behind those same guys. Now, I will say this. I had a 11. But if you said to me right now, I'd rather have five years of Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson right now, everything included, I give me a Lamar Jackson. Um, and I think it's also a fair, you know, because I, I know the, the person at least, or I believe I know the person I'm getting with Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, if you look at that, but you could argue he's got to have Lamar in back. That's it's completely fair. Um, hell, you could even make a case you'd rather have him than Burrow. I mean, Burrow is, is looks tremendous, but he's had one year where he's looked that good. So it's it's always hard in the NFL too because you know things change so quickly. I mean, last year, the Cardinals were 7-0, and and everybody's talking about Kyler Murray, and it's an MVP, and he looks amazing, and look at this team, and the Cardinals have to get absolutely eviscerated down the stretch, get blown out of the playoff game, Murray's got a homework clause in his extension, and there's not a soul who thinks he's a top 10 quarterback right now. So, things change real quick. I, I've always felt with Lamar, if he could go out, and get a couple of playoff wins. They don't have to go to the Super Bowl. Get to an AFC title game. If they do that, and he and he performs in those wins, I think it totally shifts the narrative. But right now, I think the narrative about not only him, but about the team, is they are a very dangerous team, they're tough to beat, and then January happens. And that is him. Who's a quarterback that you think people around the league are higher, are really high on, and maybe you yourself, you're kind of like, that's just very curious that people are this high on this guy. So, that's a tough question. Um, I think, and this is going to sound weird, so I just put him in my top ten, but I think some people are higher on him than I think they ought to be, is Stafford. Stafford is a very good player. Like, I, 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 put him, I think I had him like seventh or something like that, but he's a very good player. I think there are some people who want to put him like top three, top two. He's not that. He throws too many picks. You know, again, we talk, I just talked about football. Things turn on a dime. In the NFC title game last year, he threw what was basically an arm punt to Jaquiski Tarrant of the Niners, and the ball got dropped. If that ball doesn't get dropped, Stafford's a goat, and they probably lose that game. Okay, to Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners, who are all kinds of beat up, and yet, Tart dropped it. And Stafford made up for it. And in the Super Bowl, I was at the game. I was in the press box. He, he played well. And they were able to get out of there with a win and, and, and Super Bowl ring. And he deserves it. But I do think, like, to me, there is a significant gap between the Mahomeses and the Allens and the Rodgers and the Braves of the world and Stafford. I think he's on a, there's a, there's a tier gap there where I think some people like to put him up higher. I'll say, you know, on the flip side, I think Derek Carr is a lot better than people think. Like, I, I don't think Carr is elite. I think in those rankings I've been talking about, I think I have like 12 right behind Jackson, but he's he's a very good quarterback who most of his career has been in a higher fire of situation. And yet he's always made the best out of it. He's always going to lead him. Um, he has limitations, but I think Derek Carr is going to have a huge year. I don't know what the Raiders are going to. I don't trust their defense at all. But I think Carr himself, with all those weapons, I think he's going to throw for 30 yards. Yeah, I agree. I've never understood the the Derek Carr hate. To me, he's one of those guys, like, his only crime is, like, 
he's not like Mahomes or Allen or one of these guys. But besides that, I mean, pretty live arm. I mean, he's athletic enough. Uh, quick release. I mean, tough as nails, leader, like everything you want. I mean, you just can't do like crazy stuff that guys like Herbert and Allen are doing in Mahomes and then Rodgers. Like, okay, like, sue me, right? But I, I agree with you. Derek Carr is phenomenal. Stafford, I think St- Stafford's really interesting, right? Uh, I think he was kind of a uh, casualty of, you know, the QB wins uh, crowd where people were like, he throws a lot of yards, has a good arm, but is he that good? I mean, Detroit sucked for the last decade. He can't be that good. He goes to Big Bay. Uh, they obviously, you know, they win the Super Bowl. How far do you think has the pendulum swung on that with Stafford? Well, I think kind of similar to Lamar Jackson, but for different reasons. There's been this divide on either you think Stafford's amazing or you think Stafford's a guy who just happens to have a big arm. And again, the truth's in the middle. Um, he is a well above average quarterback, a very good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback. He just makes two mind-bending throws. Like there are times you're like, why would you make that throw? What are you looking at? And he'll just chuck it in coverage. Um, but again, there are also times where Stafford will just make plays that two or three guys in the world can make. So... I think the, the good outweighs the bad significantly. I always felt that way in Detroit. Um, and I do think you're right. I think there was a lot of these people who said, well, like, you know, quarterback wins. And, listen, quarterback wins, let's be real. Like, they do matter to an extent. Okay, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to win games. But it's like the same people who argue that Justin Herbert isn't good because he has a lot of playoff games. Have you watched Justin Herbert? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen him? <laughs> like, in what world do you think Justin Herbert can't play football? Like, it's... It's crazy. Like, by that logic, then you know, you're saying that Blake Bortles is a better player than Justin Herbert. It's crazy. But oh, I, I know tons of people who don't think he stopped in. I just think that's the craziest thing. I'm like, I don't know. Oh, it's nuts. It's insane. I, know that, that, I, mean, that, I probably watched, I don't know, 90% of Herbert's throws in his career, if not even all of them. And Herbert, is, Herbert is as talented of a thrower as Mahomes in yeah. now. Anybody in the league. Yep. Takes a backseat to nobody. Right. I mean, is he as talented with his legs? No, although he has some mobility. Um, do I think he's as good as those guys? Not yet. Could he be? Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. I think Stafford, like I said, I think he's right at the top of that second tier for me of guys. who so it's like, he's, he's terrific. He's got some limitations because he turns ball too much. But obviously not enough limitations that he can't win a Super Bowl. You know, the thing about Stafford, I think it's interesting, uh, yeah, he does throw a lot of picks, and he can, like, make the most mind-blowing mistakes. He'll be like, dude, you're up by, like, 21 points. Why did you have to do that? Like, there's really no need. Uh, but the thing, though, that does impress me with all of that is he's the type of guy, he can throw three interceptions a row, and he'll still make the same throw. But, like, he's unfazed by it, which I think would be a good or bad thing. Right? Yeah. No, there's, not, there's no arguing that. He, uh, he has definitely been a guy throughout his career that he keeps chucking it. And that, that can come both ways, but he definitely is that kind of a guy. But he's not a guy who you're looking to be like, oh, you know, maybe I should take the check down. Uh, it, like, no. Like, like, and some quarterbacks will get into that mode, right? Because when you're not having success, but he's a guy that I think can weirdly play himself out of a funk. Yes. No, it's true. I, it's, he's, he is the kind of guy that wants to and there's like a three-game stretch so like what's wrong with him why can't he complete a pass then all of a sudden it's like he, he goes un- just completely out of his mind just like hit for a month and he goes for like 14 touchdowns and no picks he's very streaky compared to some of these top 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 guys but he is, is certainly among the best and, and proved all last year so my last question for you Deshaun Watson Cleveland Browns how do you think this all ends at the end of his tenure with the Browns I mean, it's impossible to know. I, I think, um, look, the, the Browns, they, they made a big, big bet. And they're going to have to pay up for it. They, they're not going to have a choice. That contract's not going anywhere. It's fully guaranteed. Um, I think what the Browns did in terms of the way they structured the contracts and Watson would avoid a lot of fines this year. And in terms of not speaking to any of the two dozen women who filed civil civil suit against Watson, is a disgrace. Um, 
That said, I think the Browns are banking on the fact that when he comes back and he throws a touchdown pass, all of Cleveland or most of Cleveland is going to cheer. And they may feel gross doing it. They're going to cheer because he's their guy and he's their quarterback. And they want to win games. Uh, I think in the end, it's not the morally correct thing to say or even to feel, but I, I think if they win a bunch of games and Watson's at the epicenter of that, Browns fans are going to put their feelings aside for the most part. However, if that thing goes south, it will go spectacularly south. <laughs> there's, there's no middle ground. If that, if that goes sideways for the Browns, it will go sideways in a way you've never seen because nobody is going to be rushing to their defense. That is very true. That is very true. Matt, I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Thanks so much. And cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Zach Person on the show to talk some Chicago Bears. Cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. The wait is almost over. A new football season is about to begin. Get ready for the NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Instantaneously, in fact. One more action for opening night? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice, and if your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. I know, folks, this is an amazing deal. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We have a very special guest with us, Zach Person of the Bears Report. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So my first question for you is Justin Fields. Are you buying him or selling him? Uh, right now I'd say I'd buy. I, I think it's a little too early to kind of answer fully one way or the other just because it's a new scheme, it's a new system for him. Um, new head coach, new offensive coordinator, lack of weapons. A lot of things kind of play a part in this whole thing. Um, but from what I've seen in the past couple of days, I think I'd buy just because I think Luke Getzey in this scheme is going to put him in a position to succeed and a position to, to win compared to what he had last year. We had zero chance of winning the starting job, and, and they wanted – to sit him as long as they could. And if it wasn't for an injury to Andy Dalton, probably would have sat most of the year. So right now, the stock, I'd, I'd say I'd buy it. Why do you think the Bears wanted to sit Justin Fields last year for as long as they could? I just think they were so committed to Andy Dalton as their best chance to win. And it was a different regime in a different situation because that regime, as weird as it sounds, they had to win now um, to save their jobs. And they thought Andy Dalton was probably the best option for that. Um, spoiler, he wasn't. Uh, Justin Fields was outperforming him in training camp all last year. So I just think they didn't give him a fair shot at it. They just assumed, okay, he's a rookie. He's going to sit a little bit. That's the best chance for us to develop him. And maybe they thought he would be like their ace in their hand towards the end of the year to kind of save their jobs. And it just didn't work out like that. Did the last regime really want Justin Fields? Yeah, yeah, I think they did. I think um, we saw that with how they traded up to get him. Um, they weren't in position to get you know, Trevor Lawrence. Um, they weren't in position to get Zach Wilson. I don't think he was high on their board anyway. And then Trey Lance is probably a guy they didn't really want to take a chance on. But I, I think they wanted Justin Fields. And I thought that, you know, they thought he could have saved their jobs. Um, as weird as it sounds by not you know playing them right away, but instead, hey, let's try to win with Andy Dalton. And if, if um, you know, Fields turns out to be a good quarterback, we still have that. It was kind of like maybe what San Francisco was doing. Maybe they were trying to follow that model with Jimmy G and, and Trey Lance. It just didn't work out for them that way. 
What do you think is going to be the biggest difference from the scheme Justin's going to be in now from the scheme last year under Matt Nagy? Yeah, the, the Matt Nagy scheme was a little odd. Um, you know, the play calling was, was pretty bad um, between him and Bill Lazor. I think in terms of the scheme, you know, the West Coast is going to benefit him because it's going to be getting the ball out quick. It's going to be shorter throws. It's going to rely on the run game, the outside run zone scheme that they're running, um, and then putting Justin Fields in good position, not third and longs, things like that. And looking back at, at the whole Matt Nagy fiasco, I mean, essentially, Matt Nagy wanted his hands on the offense as much as possible. I don't think that's what Matt Eberfuss wants. Matt Eberfuss wants to control the defense, the offense, special teams, overlook it, and kind of let, let Luke Getze do what he does um, and be that primary play caller and, and handler of the offense. You know, maybe not, you know, scheme-wise, but I think that's definitely going to benefit Justin Fields as well. What was more so the scheme than under Matt Nagy then, right? Uh, were they just... Because I, I noticed a lot, like, they, they didn't call as many read options, which I always thought was weird. So what were they kind of asking of Justin Fields that, that you think is different or, you know, not as good as what was going on under Matt Nagy? Yeah, yeah, I think they're going to call more read options. They're going to call, um, you know, more plays for Justin Fields to have the decision on what to do, essentially tuck it or throw it. With Matt Nagy, we saw, you know, it, it, it was a scheme that was supposed to get guys open, um, was supposed to you know, utilize his playmakers, and it just didn't happen. And it was supposed to be, you know, Justin Fields on the move a lot more on rollouts and designs, plays like that. They didn't do that. They only did it in the really the Steelers game. We saw it a lot, and Justin Fields was successful, you know, in rolling out or you know attempts down the field. And for whatever reason, they went away from it. I think we'll see more read option here. Um, we'll see Justin Fields a lot more on the run. I think um, or on the move with those design bootlegs, design rollouts, and things like that. So I think they're gonna play to his strengths in that way. How many run calls, I know this is kind of hard to pronosticate, but how many run calls would you say, give or take, you think we're going to see from Justin Fields a game? I mean, designed ones, you know, I think it'll probably be up there 7, 8, 9, 10-ish maybe. maybe that, might, that might be a little high. Um, I think that would be the overall numbers. I think he's going to scramble a lot on non-designed rollouts because the offensive line you know, probably isn't the best, and they've broken down in preseason a lot. We've seen him have, you know, having to use his legs to kind of keep plays alive and, and things like that. So designed, you know, maybe five to six, but overall, I mean, I could see him on the road, on the move, you know, up to ten times sometimes a game just because pressure's going to get in the backfield and the offensive line's, you know, going to break down. He's going to have to keep plays alive with his feet and, and, and hopefully – you know, find receivers downfield or, you know, scramble for some yards. What do you think the biggest thing Justin Fields seems to have improved on this year as opposed to his rookie year in the NFL? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, the the, the, the kind of big answer would be, or the answer everyone wants, you know, is progressions or, or accuracy. I think just being a leader for this offense is probably the biggest thing in my eyes. Um, you know, we saw it right away in off-season activities and in mini-camp practices and all that. Now, in training camp, he's kind of taken a hold of this offense. You know, he's set up workouts for his receivers down in Atlanta. Um, you know, he's been together with receivers here in Chicago. I think just the command of the huddle, you know, knowing it's his offense, knowing he's in control, are really going to help him. Um, on the field, you know, maybe just the processing, maybe knowing, reading the defense before the snap and knowing where – the linebacker is going to be, what the coverage is, you know, is he going to see a blitz, where the, where the schemes are coming from, things like that. But, I, you know, I would definitely say the biggest thing will be the, the leadership. What do you think is the one thing that separates Justin Fields, that can separate him, uh, an elite trade or something that he does particularly better than other guys that you think the Bears can really utilize and that makes him unique? Yeah, you know, I think using his... Um, deep accuracy is probably one thing that would separate him from others. Um, we haven't really fully seen that yet. I mentioned we saw it a little bit in, in the Steelers game and maybe once or twice last season. But I, I think that's his one trait that the Bears should utilize more. I think he's a good deep ball thrower. Um, will we see that a lot? I, I don't think so. I don't think the Bears have the weapons to fully expose that and, and 
use it to his advantage. But that's the one trait they they really going to have to unlock, and whether that comes off of you know um, RPOs or, or, or play action stuff like that is is kind of to be seen. Um, but I think that's an area that they could fully unlock from him and really help him take that next step here. Do you think we'll see that later in the year? Because I think the way you're kind of making it seem is uh, they want to be more West Coast, you know, quick timing, uh, get the ball out of your hands quickly as opposed to, okay, we're going to hang in the pocket and we're going to wait for things to develop downfield. I also, that is harder because the receivers aren't as good and the offensive line, quite frankly, you know, probably not giving him the time, you know, <laughs> to do that anyway. Yeah. Um, possibly. I think we'll still see it earlier in the year. I, I do think they're going to, you know, rely on the run. And, and, and use their backs and David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert, even rookie Tristan Ebner. But, I mean, I could see it kind of them taking some shots early on in the season, but maybe as they open up their offense a little more and kind of have some games under their belt to see, okay, this worked, this didn't work, we need to be better here, we need to be better there. Um, we could definitely see it come later on in the season, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if they came out and took a couple shots early in the year. What would you say is the biggest reason we didn't see Justin uh, have success maybe some people would have hoped for his first year because, right, first-round pick, a lot of hope. It was like him and Trevor Lawrence coming up the type pipeline, these two really talented quarterbacks. So what would you say would be the biggest reason maybe we didn't people didn't see him pop like they thought he would right away? He just wasn't in a good situation. It just it was a, a sentiment of a duck year for Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. Realistically, the Bears should have fired them the year before. Um, they decided to run it back and bring them back again. Kind of just didn't work out. Like like I mentioned, they didn't give him you know a fair shot to win the starting job right away. He was the better quarterback in training camp, and you know the media that was there, the fans were there, everyone saw it. And I think you know with Matt Nagy being stubborn and then the play caller changing to the laser, Nagy saw him an influence on it. They just really didn't help his development. And it's weird as it sounds, they almost had too many cooks in the kitchen in terms of people in that quarterback world. I mean. You had John Filippo in there, who was the quarterback's coach and has a lot of experience, but you also had Matt Nagy putting his in. You also had Bill Lazor. You had Nick Foles, who just didn't want to be there at all. He wanted out. They didn't trade him. Um, you had Andy Dalton, who was a veteran, who was kind of in a, in a weird situation himself, where they draft a young quarterback, and he's supposed to help groom him, but also win games and, and compete for another contract. So I just think he just wasn't in a good situation. I mean, it just it, it was a disadvantage from the start for him. Why would the, and this is a question I have too, because I feel like this sets Justin back to an extent, right? So when you have regime, right, you have Matt Nagy in them, and you let him pick the quarterback he wants, and then, right, he gets fired, it doesn't work out, then you bring Matt Eberflus in a new regime, and, and now it's kind of like you've given Matt Eberflus somebody he may or may not want, somebody that he may or not may or may not want to start with, and you've also on the other hand of the coin with Matt Daggy, you've given him a guy and it's like, okay, you're probably going to be fired this year, so what's the point of drafting him? Yeah, you know, it is a weird situation because, you know, you're right. I mean, you look at Matt Daggy and Matt Eberflus and it's like, they pretty much have the writing on the wall if they had to win no matter what last year to save their jobs. Now, this year, I will say this, though. The Bears are rebuilding. They're not going to come say it, but they are rebuilding. They're in a full rebuild mode here. The good news is they might have a piece of quarterback, which is the toughest piece to find in these rebuilds. I mean, we see teams, and even Chicago, have gone through quarterbacks for years and decades in these rebuilds to, to land that big piece. But with a talented quarterback like Justin Fields, you may have that piece here, which makes you know the process a little easier. Now, I don't think Ryan Poles and many of are married to any player on this roster. Um, I do think if I had to pick two or three that would stay here for the long term, you know, Justin Fields would be among those players. But if he's bad this year and they have a low pick, they could go out and get another one of these quarterbacks. If he's good and they still have a low pick, they could use that pick to kind of trade back for more capital. So I think we'll know this year. I mean, if Fields is not good and there's a quarterback sitting there, the Bears have a top five pick, they'll probably go after him. Um, I would probably give Fields at least another year, I think, would be realistic. You know, even if he is bad this year, but we're going to know pretty quick here um, in the coming months if Justin Fields is the guy or not. How married to Justin Fields is Matt Eberflus? Um, yeah, it's kind of a tough one to answer. I, I, I'd say more with Ryan Poles, I think, would be the better comparison just because, you know, he is the general manager trying to build the roster, and, and it kind of feels like, you know, he's got more control over the roster than someone like that. 
the Beautifuls would have. But for the duo, for them, you know, I don't think they're fully married to them. Like, I mean, I think the situation of the Bears being bad, Justin Fields being bad, would play out. They would take a quarterback. Um, you know, I don't think they would skip on a quarterback if Justin Fields was bad. If he's good, you know, that's that's even a better sign. But I, I wouldn't say they're fully committed to him. I mean, he is. I don't think anyone on this roster is is untouchable. And it's interesting, right? Because you want to see progression from Justin Fields, but on the other hand, right, the offensive line isn't very good and the weapons aren't very good. So how good do you actually expect them to be? Yeah, you know, that's that's a thing. Like, the Bears could be in a situation where, you know, Justin Fields is a good quarterback and he takes steps forward, right? And the Bears are bad. I think that's actually the ideal situation for this franchise. You see progressions from Justin Fields, you know, Maybe they they win a couple of games they shouldn't. Um, the defense keeps them in late, but the other team just too good, and, and the Bears get a top ten pick, and, and Fields is good. I think that's the ideal um, situation for them to be in. But with the lack of weapons, the offensive line breaking down, it might be tough to judge if Justin Fields is good or not. I mean, he might be on the run a lot. He might have receivers dropping passes, running the wrong routes, not getting separation. Um, I think the running backs will be good. I think Cole Komet will be good. But outside of that, Darnell Mooney. There's not a lot of weapons. So it might be tough to kind of gauge where Justin Fields is at. At the same time, I mean, I think you'll know. I, I think with a quarterback like this, you'll know if he's good or not this season. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing to kind of watch for. What would you say to Bears fans who say that they think that Justin Fields is being sabotaged because of the lack of talent on offense? Um, I, I don't think that's really the case. I think... If you listen to Ryan Pohl's press conference at the start of the year and everything he said in the offseason, he flat out said they're not going to go out and spend a lot of money on players. And they're not going to trade assets for wide receivers. I mean, now that does set them up for next year in a, with a lot of salary cap space, but it's a bad free agent wide receiver class unless someone you know gets cut that wasn't supposed to get cut or anything like that. So I, I could see the frustrations, but I mean, they laid out the blueprint. They're going to build through the draft. They're going to build on the trenches and then address those needs um, as they come. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what they did this year. They didn't go out and spend big money on, on wide receivers or any other players. They kind of played to the to, to their plan and, and they knew what they wanted to do. They stuck to it. And, and it's year one. I mean, there's going to be good. There's a good wide receiver draft class next year with the projections out there. They can find a wide receiver there. They might be able to trade for a wide receiver next offseason. We kind of got to give it time. How many wins should the Bears expect this year? Um, I, you know, the number's at six and a half for the over-under. I would probably lean around six. I think at best they can get to seven. Um, maybe eight if everything goes right. They win some games you're not supposed to. But again, you know, when people say that, you know, they can also lose some games you're not supposed to. I think they have an easier schedule in the beginning. Um, the middle gets tough, and they got a kind of an easier one to close it out outside of a, a tough home game against Buffalo. I put the number, I'd say, right around six. I think is a fair um, uh, estimate for wins. So, with Matt Eberflus, what would you say is the biggest thing you've noticed, or the biggest difference between how he's kind of running the ship as opposed to how Matt Nagy did things? Yeah, he's he's very detailed. Um, he's very a team oriented guy. I mean, every time there's a football on the ground by the defense, picks it up and, and, and tries to return it for a touchdown, no matter if it's an incompletion or whatever. Um, he's kind of got the guys bought in, and, and he's got you know a lot of that um, you know, team friendly, team oriented guys to buy in, which is which is a good thing. Um, you know, they kind of have that team mindset. Not you know, outside of a couple guys, maybe you know better individual mindset. They, they really have a good team atmosphere. He's got them buying in. Um, he's, he's getting the help of former players, wants to know the history of the franchise. I think he's just a good, good job overall with the leadership. Like I said, he wants to be you know, in control of the offense, defense, and special teams, not just one area. He wants to be involved with all of it, which is kind of what Matt Nagy and the previous regime weren't doing. Were you surprised that the Bears decided to go in the direction of a defensive guy instead of an offensive guy? Yeah, I think... A little bit, um, because the way the NFL is trending, obviously, is, is you know, passing offenses and putting up points. Um, but I think they got the right offensive coordinator with a little gutsy, and I think that's a good combination to have. Is you know you can have a defensive minded head coach that wants to look over everything else. As long as you have a good offensive minded coach, that that certainly helps as well. So I was a little surprised, not fully, um, but yeah, I could say a little.
What do you think Matt Nagy did that, uh, you know, was less than that kind of could have led to his demise? I know you mentioned, you know, that they didn't play Justin Fields and all of that, but. Yeah, just, his scheme just didn't work and he stuck to it and it was his own demise. I mean, it just, you know, you have to adjust, you have to adapt. He did not adapt, he did not adjust. He kept on running his scheme, and, which is fine, but you have to kind of mix things in too. And he just didn't do that. He kept on going back to the well, it didn't work. And I just think finally the defense broke down, the offense wasn't putting up points. They regressed every year he was there. They were dead last or among the worst in points per game, yards per game last year on offense. And that just, you, you have to have an offense in this league to succeed. I mean, I don't care how good your defense is. We, we saw in 2018, your defense was the best in, in football, and they still couldn't win a playoff game because their offense couldn't score points either. So, yeah, he just, he, he, he just the, the lack of offensive success just really, really doomed him in the end. Would you say Matt Nagy was kind of an overrated offensive mind? Because that was this whole thing in Kansas City with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think you're going to have to say it was overrated just because of what he had and where he came from. Um, but I think he's a guy who'll get a second chance somewhere. You know, I do think he he does have it in, in a way to, to be a good offensive head coach here. Maybe he just needs to be an offensive coordinator for a few years to kind of figure some things out. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Matt Nagy as a head coach within four or five years. Do you think, who would you blame more for Mitch Trubisky not having success in Chicago? Would you say it was more like Mitch Trubisky wasn't that good or would you say it's Matt Nagy? Both. I think it's fair to say both. I, I don't think either of them were good and I think, you know, people want to pick a side in the argument but you don't have, I mean, you could say it can be true that both were bad. Like, we can look at Mitch Trubisky, you know, he's still making some of the same mistakes here as I've watched in those preseason games with the Steelers that we saw here in Chicago. And, you know, I'm rooting for Mitch. I hope he's a good quarterback. Maybe he finds himself in a position to succeed. But I just think that the, the marriage here in Chicago with Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky, just, it, it wasn't good. It just, it didn't work out. I don't think either of them were, um, not, I don't want to say not friendly to each other, but I don't think either of them were a good fit for each other here in, the, in their four years. <clears throat> And you, honestly, that situation, wasn't John Fox the coach Mitch Trubisky's first year? Yeah, Fox was the coach the first year, um, and then Nagy came in and took over, what, 2018, 2019, 2021. So I guess it was three years with Nagy. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Mitch showed some promise with, with John Fox a little bit. You know, they kind of threw him in the fire, which was fine. So they had Mike Glennon, he just wasn't good. But then, you know, you thought, okay, Nagy is the offensive-minded genius. He's coming in from Kansas City. We're going to see Mitch do some things. But, you know, Mitch also had some tendencies that weren't very good. You know, he couldn't read the defense. He tucked and ran too early. Um, He didn't keep his eyes down the field. And and sometimes he really struggled with accuracy, too. When did you realize Mitch Trubisky just wasn't the guy? Um, probably 2019, a little bit at the end of 2018. I mean, everyone wants to point to that 2018 season, how good they were, first part they were, but those final eight games, if you go back and look at the stats, they were regressing on offense. And a lot of it was Mitch missing open receivers, Mitch not reading the defense properly, trying to do a little too much. Um, and in 2019, it was kind of the same thing. Their offense at the start of the year kind of picked up where it was in 2018. It wasn't very good. You kind of knew then, maybe mid-year 2019, was when I think a lot of people fully realized it. Um, even even though in twenty twenty he had a couple of good games at the end, they were playing you know the Texans, the, the the Jaguars, you know Minnesota's defense was struggling, so it was kind of just you know fool's gold there at the end. Yeah, and that gets something I always don't like, but people do. I, I'm a proponent of like quarterback wins are not like a QB stat. Like, they don't exist. Like, <laughs> I, I think when people say, oh, quarterback wins, I think that's one of the most stupid things somebody can say. Because I'm just like, if your team's really good and the quarterback's, like, you know, mediocre, you, you can find ways to win. Like... Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I think the same way. You know, I think when you look at 2018, yeah, Mitch won them a couple games, but they were there because that defense was so dominant. And this is kind of the storyline here in Chicago you know, for years now. The defense has been good. They've had poor quarterback play. So, yeah, the wins and losses, it's, it's a team sport. It should be a team thing. And I just, I don't really pay attention to, oh, he won this many games in Chicago. He deserves it. Well, you know, the defense did bail him out a lot. Now, granted, he did win a couple games. Um, he did play well in a few games. But when you go back to it, I mean, the defense was the biggest proponent of it all. Like, they, they were the main factor uh, of why they had success in that season. What do you think is going to be kind of the scheme slash imprint of a Matt Eberflus defense in Chicago? 
Yeah, so it's a new um, defense. It's 4-3 defense, um, the switch over from the 3-4. And I think the biggest change is going to come, you know, at the linebacker spot. They have the three linebackers now, and, you know, they're going to have to get pressure up front. Everything is going to funnel, you know, to the linebackers in the run game and maybe pressure as well. I think their secondary will be a little more aggressive, which is something to watch. They're going to come up, they're going to try and hit you hard, and try and strip the football out, they're going to try and return the ball. They're going to try to force takeaways. You know, it kind of sounds, you know, pretty kind of whichever team wants to do, uh, but but they're going to be tougher too. Like they're they're going to have some guys in that secondary. They're going to hit you. I think we kind of saw that with their with how they drafted Jaquan Brister and Tyler Gordon. You know, two athletic guys and kind of move around a lot um, in, in that secondary. But everything's going to go through the, the linebacker spot. I mean, they're going to have three linebackers out there. It's going to be Roquan Smith at the will. It's going to be um, Nicholas Morrow at, at the mic, and then they got a battle to see who's going to be. The other at the strong side linebacker. I think we'll see a lot of times we'll see two linebackers. I think we're going to see a lot of nickel and dime from them, maybe using Jaquan Brisker up in the box, but while also using Kyler Gordon as a slot corner. Uh, it's going to be kind of fun to watch. I'm excited to see. I, I think it's going to be a little bit of what Indianapolis did last year, and I think they got the pieces to kind of be successful like the Colts were. Roquan Smith, what's going on with him and the Bears? I mean, you know, we finally got some clarification. He's back. He's back at practice. He ended his quote-unquote hold-in. Um, he was not happy. He, he wanted a big contract. He not only wanted to be the highest-paid off-ball linebacker, he wanted to be among the highest-paid defensive players in the league. And, you know, with him not having an agent, him being his own negotiator, it's, it, it's tough. I mean, it's tough for both sides. So, for now, I mean, he's going to play out his contract. The Bears can tag him. He'll make $20 million if they tag him next year, which is double his salary this year. There's a chance he could be back. You know, they could figure out a long-term extension, but everything he told us, it sounds like they're not even negotiating right now at the moment. What do you think is going to be the end resolution at the end of the day with the Bears and Raquan? I think they'll tag him after this year and play it out and try to extend time to get a contract done. But, I mean, if he comes out and has a big year this year, the price is going to go up even more. If he comes out and struggles, I mean... The Bears can say, use it to their advantage, say, well, you didn't really play well as an off-ball linebacker before 4-3. I think he has a chance to prove and earn a big paycheck. I, ideally, you want him to stay. I mean, you want him to be a piece of your defense for the future. He's 25. But the linebacker spot right now, you just you don't pay him that much money. You know, he's, he's not – linebackers aren't top five defensive paid positions in the NFL anymore. It's just not realistic. So I can see both sides. I think in the end, he's going to play it out. He'll get He'll get tagged. Uh, they'll either work out a trade for him, or he'll probably, you know, 2023 will probably be his last season here in Chicago. Zach, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. And once again, I want to thank both Zach and Matt for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 476th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. I gotta try hard. I try.